Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Welcome. Everything is fine. Hi, I'm Jack. And I'm Allison. Hi, Allison. How are you today? Do you ever once wish that I could just like pick up your joke and carry it too? Right. So you, <laughs> Allison, are dead. Oh, no. Your life on Earth has ended oh, and man. you are now in the next phase of your existence is, in the universe. Does this count as copywriting? Welcome to the good place. There we go. Sponsored by otters holding hands while they sleep. <laughs> you know the way you feel when you see a picture of two otters holding hands? That's how you're going to feel. Every day. Mm. Hi, everybody. This is our podcast called Script Shop. Uh, I am Jack. I am Allison. And we talk to writers about their screenplays. There's a reason why I did that whole Good Place uh, intro just now. Even though we're not in the good place. Well, we might be. Oh, gosh. I mean, just uh, us in this moment right now. I don't mean like in a larger sense. Well, I I totally went there, though. I know. That's why you got that pain look on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Mm -hmm. Truly. Um, Welcome to Script Shop. As Jack said, we talked to screenwriters about their screenplays and why they wrote them and what it meant and what what it meant what mints mints delicious mints delicious mints and uh, why they're the only person in all of existence who may or could have written what they wrote. We are going to get to our screenwriter uh, shortly. Here it is uh, Grace Mellon who wrote a script called Purgatory, mm-hmm. and that title is the reason why I thought that clever intro involving the good place would be appropriate. I love it. Purgatory is a 16-page, non-angsty, teen frustration, healing, and community short. Ooh, I like all that. Yeah, I do too. Um, We found Grace from Film Freeway. Oh, because we are back on Film Freeway. That's right. And if you... Go ahead. No, after you. Oh, me? No, after you. No, no, no. Oh, Jack, thank you This is torture for a listener, by the way. (laughs) If you are interested in submitting your screenplay to Script Shop, you can do it by going to filmfreeway.com and looking up Script Shop Show. Or you can go to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. And you can submit that way, too. If you include the phrase, a uh, hot burrito, the phrase that pays, that will move your script to the front of the line and give you a quicker consideration because it lets us know that you listen to the show. And we would love to be able to, you know, throw a little bit of uh, love toward the people yes. that listen to us. That, that's that's very special. We appreciate that. Throwing love like a brick. That's my specialty. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm fucking pregnant. That's the story. That's the origin story of baby number two, folks. That's something we can bring up at a much later date. Uh, So please know that we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We love being friends in real life, but we also love being friends online until we can meet. So if you're interested in... Oh, God, wait. That's a new thing now? We're going to meet people? people? Well, we meet them at Sindependence, so I figure we might as well. Yeah, but that's... I don't know. All summer, we're like... Come to Cincinnati. Meet us. Yeah, but that involves, like, tickets and fees and stuff. Somebody actually has to want to do it as opposed to, like, randomly meeting us with no strings attached. Bill Baber and Scott Crosby. Yeah, but those guys were all right. I'm going to. Those were good guys. We didn't know that. I know. We had a whole backup plan in case they were weirdos. (laughs) They just came to Cincinnati to meet us (laughs) and be on the show. All right. All right. We'll meet you then. It's fine. Yeah. I guess this is what we're doing now. Apparently. If Jack says it's okay, then it's totally fine. I guess. So come meet us (laughs) and submit your script. I'm sweating. I mean, I'm having a flop. 
sweat and, right now. And uh, follow us online because we'd love to talk to you. Is the point and the message and the metaphor for all that we are working to accomplish here. If there are other things you'd like to throw at us, like perhaps some money, uh, you can do that because we are on Patreon and we are taking your uh, donations to support this show. Uh, we do have uh, a handful of uh, patrons, which we are very, 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 very grateful for. Uh, at last check, my father was among them. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> oh! Uh, and, and big thanks to everybody else out there. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if, if you would ever consider potentially uh, providing money to the show, that would be amazing. And you can do that by going on to patreon.com and looking up Script Shop Show. Sounds good to me. I think that's everything. We have uh, Grace Mellon, uh, who wrote Purgatory, standing by here on the line. Do you want to bring her in? Because I feel like I'm always the one that does it. Okay. Hello, Grace. Hi there. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Just fine. Oh, Grace. Hi. You sound echoey. Oh, I do? I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it in an I noticed kind of way. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that something <laughs> you spritzed okay, on great. today? <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing Echo. I am. I'm glad that came through. Where are you calling us from, Grace? I am calling you from Chicago. I'm at school right now. Um, should wait, be in class. Are you, I was going to say, are you in class right now? Is this like a secret interview that's going on while the teacher's trying to talk? That would be really great if I just was completely talking over her, like there was <laughs> just with no regard. Miss um, no, Mellon, Miss Mellon, what are you doing? A... <laughs> Please excuse him, Miss Mellon. <laughs> pay attention in class. Um, no, I, I knew that would go badly, so I'm actually in a, a conference room in the library here. So I'm 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 ditching class to be here, wow. which is a very easy decision to make. We do, we do appreciate it. That's very thoughtful of you. I can't. I mean, the idea that you're putting your ed, your future, your further education on hold to talk to us is uh, maybe a little more than we deserve. Oh, not at all. No, not even sort of. I'm studying. Um, I'm not studying anything film related. So, oh not my really. gosh. Oh yeah. What class are you blowing off? Um, I'm actually studying to be. <laughs> I'm studying to be an elementary school teacher, uh, which is so I'm encouraging ditching. Probably isn't the best thing, but I. Uh, I'm skipping like it's like this class on basically creating curriculum for <laughs> small children. Yeah. yeah. Who needs that? Who needs that? Just show up, wing it. For <laughs> sure. Kids, please. They're, little, they're not going to know any better. They're little kids. <laughs> no, exactly. It's so easy to trick them. Miss <laughs> Bellin had a bad curriculum. Nobody's going to say that on your evaluation. You're good. <laughs> and I'm already prepared for it. What college are you uh, attending currently? I'm at Roosevelt. Okay. And have you been a Chicagoan your whole life or did you move there? I, um, I live, I live, I grew up in Oak Park, um, which is just outside Chicago. So sort of, and then I, I went to college, um, in, in the city. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going to school to be some sort of early education teacher. I'm going to school to, because it's, it's important to my family that I have a degree in something that's not only making movies mm-hmm. um, okay. and I and I do like working with kids so I figured this was a fair enough uh compromise um that that's the main reason I I really only think I'm gonna substitute at most um I I don't I don't really want to make a whole life out of it it's <laughs> terrible is Maybe teaching is teaching so competitive lately that you have to have a degree to sub Oh, no, not at all. Um, it does make you like higher on the list. Um, like you'll get called before someone else who doesn't have a degree in education. But I think I think you just need a bachelor's in order mm-hmm. to sub. OK, well, and I would say that the good news is that becoming a teacher doesn't preclude you from being able to still, you know, participate in filmmaking. I think those two things aren't mutually exclusive at all. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. It's the same parts of your brain, basically. So are you like minoring in film studies or anything like that? I'm not. I'm I'm uh, just I do film pretty much exclusively outside of school mm-hmm. um, with people who I have connections with from being an actor for a while in Chicago. And uh, and yeah, just people I've met along the way. It's not school related. So I got to really dive into this a little bit and feel free to answer what you're comfortable with. But how did, mm. how did this conversation come up with your parents where you say something like, hey, listen, I love filmmaking. And they said, hey, listen, have a steady job. And you said, OK, well, I'll do this to make you happy. But actually, what's probably going to happen is that I'm just going to sub and pursue my filmmaking career anyway. Like, what, what was that? What was that conversation actually like with them? Um, well, I've been, I've been like acting professionally since I was 13. So I think since then they've known that I'm not going to really have a stable job. Mm -hmm. So they've been able to adjust to that for the last 10 years. Um, but, uh, you know, when it came time for school, I first, I majored in theater and I realized I didn't want to do that because I, I just really didn't like the school where I was. And, um, and so I decided that I'd pursue something that was logistic and that I could, actually, you know, that I enjoy, but isn't, doesn't have anything to do with acting or writing. And, um, and it was important to my parents because I, I mean, and it's understandable. They just don't want me to be completely broke and, uh, homeless and dependent on them. I I understand. But, Mm -hmm. um, if I had it my way, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in this conference room right now. Mm -hmm. I'd be at home. Mm -hmm. So you said you started doing uh, performance when you were young. Mm -hmm. What was that like really? Um, I, yeah, I signed with an agent when I was 13. Um, and so I started going on professional auditions at that time. And, um, I, I actually, right out the gate, I got a really great commercial, um, that gave me some good money. And then after that, I got like literally nothing for four years. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, uh, taught me a lot about the competitive nature of the business and also just gave me some thick skin about rejection, Mm -hmm. which I think was really good for me because I was getting a big head. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big 13 year old head. Yeah, I was just cause I, I was in this blockbuster commercial, which makes me sound really old, but I was in this blockbuster commercial that ended up playing like at the Thanksgiving football game. And, uh, I made like a lot of royalties off of it. And I thought like, well, this is where I take off. And <laughs> that wasn't sort of the case, which I think was for the best. So, so since then, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, so was it because of maybe that, you know, multi-year lull that you're talking about that maybe led you into start uh, in, in ter- instead of being an actor, moving more into writing and, and whatever other sort of uh, experience that you've developed in, in, in independent film? Yeah, I think so. Well, I, um, I, I did mostly theater when I was like a teenager, just like plays in Chicago. Um, and I really thought that if I if I was going to write, I would write plays. Um, but then I, I took a literature through film class at my high school. I went to a high school in the city and um, we saw the movie Magnolia mm-hmm. and, you know, analyzed it. And that movie just that that lecture, all of it, it just completely changed the trajectory of my life. And I decided, like, OK, I don't have to just sign myself up to theater and plays for the rest of my life, I can actually branch out and do something different, go to this whole field, which I enjoy more. And I I think is more compelling. Hmm. What were some of the early things that you wrote? Um, the first thing I wrote was, um, 
a play for school that actually ended up being a, um, I, I made it into my first short after a lot, a lot, a lot of workshopping and editing. Um, and it was about these um, two girls. One of them, uh, they both had cancer. One of them survived and um, the other one was like in critical condition. And so it, it sort of was like this parallel story between these two lives they were living and how um, even the girl who survived like uh, had a lot of remnants of, of what she'd been through and that she wasn't, you know, you're never completely, mm, what's the word, done, mm-hmm. <laughs> for yeah, lack of a okay. better word, yeah. with that sort of experience. Um, and that was because I, I had cancer when I was a kid. Um, well, like I had cancer twice, but the more recent time was when I was 12 and, um, 12 to 14 is when I was treated. And I, I found that surviving and like the years following that were really almost as emotionally brutal as the time going through it, especially because I didn't have people, you know, constantly checking in with me. And there's still all that fear of, you know, getting sick again. And there's that fear of, relapsing and dying and all that and also such guilt about being alive when plenty of friends I'd met uh who were also sick did not survive so it's like this sort of internal battle what was once like an external physical battle becomes an internal battle and I wanted to write about that Mm -hmm. and 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 you said all this is going on you said 12 to 14 that's when you're doing this child actor thing Mm mm-hmm yeah I um (laughs) I, I have I have really good parents because when they weren't driving me to the hospital, they were driving me to rehearsals like all over the city and I would be really sick, but I would I would never call in. I didn't I I, I didn't wanna um call in for a second. I, I, I hated that I even had to I wasn't gonna let my illness define me. Even if I was like throwing up backstage, I'd just get on stage and, and do it because I I don't know. It was kind of my way of having some control over the situation, I right. guess. Was this something that you would talk about uh, openly when you were, you know, that age? No, definitely not. I, I kind of tried to keep all of that inside. I, I didn't really like talking about my feelings, my emotions about it, because I think they were so big and intense. I was scared of them and mm-hmm. I was scared of other people's reactions. So I... I definitely closed those off until really until I started writing about them. And like I mentioned in that play I wrote in high school. Mm-hmm. And did you ever start working with a therapist or someone to help you further develop those feelings? And then potentially mm-hmm. even you did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. I was in, um, I, I was diagnosed with PTSD for it. And do you all, uh, you know, EMDR therapy? Uh, I don't believe so. No. Like eye movement, well, no, I'm not going to spell it out because I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what it all stands for. But basically, it's this type, specific type of trauma therapy that integrates um, the trauma into all parts of your brain. Because what happens with trauma is it's just in like a little nugget of your brain, and that's what makes you know that's what makes triggers so intense. That's what makes you know reactions so intense. But if you can integrate it into all of your brain, then it becomes more of a regular memory instead of this like intense just uh like target basically mm-hmm. oh spreading it out yeah spreading like the the pain or the the trauma or whatever out so it's not just so concentrated and painful in one spot in your head right exactly and so it's not just like so you, you can also get into the parts of your brain that are logical like okay even though you know 
I feel guilty because I'm alive and my friends aren't, that doesn't mean that it's actually my fault. You know, it kind of getting it into the logical part of your brain. So it's not just the emotions dictating your narrative about it. So EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Yep. 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 (laughs) Would you mind sharing some of the exercises that they use in EMDR therapy? Absolutely. Um, So I think there's, a bunch of different ways to do it. But with my therapist, I held on to like these two alternating handles basically. And they would, one would buzz in my right hand, the other would buzz in my left hand and they would take turns like that. And I keep my eyes closed and she would sort of talk me through the memory I was having, um, the traumatic memory related to my illness. Um, and then I would, you know, feel my feelings about that. But as I was feeling my feelings, it wasn't like in this intense reaction. It was, it was going to the right part of my brain and the left part of my brain and sort of integrating itself. Mm-hmm. And that's why they have like the alternating uh, buzzer things in, in each hand. Some, some therapists have you follow their finger and they move their uh, finger back and forth. And that like your eye movement from right to left also um, does the exact same thing. It, it integrates it into both halves of your brain. This is like really incredible. And and clearly it, it feels like it, it's a series of like a real life events, things that you personally experienced and have your own feelings about and, 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 and story to tell about what you went through. And then, I mean, I feel like that's, I don't mean to call it like a wealth to draw from in terms of things that you can write about, but I mean also based on this script you sent us, Purgatory, about a young woman who's at an institutionalized uh, therapy uh, situation, it feels like you, you're, you've you got quite a, a, a strong grip on what this sort of thing uh, was for you and, and, and the emotions that one works through as one's going through all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I definitely feel lucky to like, I'm, I'm still pretty young. Um, and I feel lucky that I have a lot of, you know, complex life experiences to draw from, um, that definitely inform my characters and, and my scripts in ways that I probably wouldn't be able to do otherwise. That, that you can specifically put out there for younger people to relate to, which I feel like is kind of a rarity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think so too. And that's something that I definitely wanted when I was going through either either actual cancer treatment or therapy. I wanted something that was validating and reflecting. And I found that every now and then, but it, it's pretty rare to find um, like a completely reflective and validating and not overly sentimental right. depiction of either mental illness or cancer. Well, and I think especially for teenagers, because, you know, in the small description that I laid out in the beginning, I called this a non-angsty teen frustration, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And the thing that I love so much about this story is there is this um, basically the forming of teenage community support groups where the teenagers, the young people – complain they vent but there's not any angst in there it's like pure clear frustration and i didn't know where that stemmed from and i think Mm -hmm. perhaps it could be your own experiences with your frustrations in life having cancer meeting those like you or around you who are affected by it as well yeah absolutely well um the people in this script uh like the the patients at least are like in their early 20s so um, they sort of read like they're younger because a lot of them have gone from treatment center to treatment center, and that's sort of been their adolescence. Um, so it's it's like this um, 
self-imposed purgatory in that they can't they, they, they are completely able to leave because they're adults. They're over the age of 18, and it's not like a, a psychiatric unit. They can sign themselves out, but um, <laughs> even though they, they, they still stay, and they're the only people keeping them there. Do you think it's because they just connect and relate and belong in this community? Yeah, I do. And I also think there's a fear of looking for an identity besides mental illness and trauma. I think when that's been so much of your life, you're kind of like, okay, well, without these things, what am I? Then I'm just like some stupid 20 something. Um, so I think there's like the fear of losing yourself when you leave a place like this, that you, where you sort of culminate and culminated an identity around your, your illness. um, illnesses. Is that something that you experienced? Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I I think I felt like that was really the only interesting thing about me for a while. Like, oh, I was sick and I was a kid who had cancer. So like, that's super rare. And then I was a kid who survived cancer and I was acting. So it's like, oh, well, if I didn't have this, you know, huge triumphant feat over this illness, I'd probably just be some other kid actor who was like attention seeking. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. What a mind trip that is to, to like have this thing that, I mean, that you're fighting and you're trying to survive and, and, and get past. And, but then also recognizing that for lack of a better word, the fact that it's making you special. Is that, is that a right way to say it? Totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really a big old mind fuck. I can't even Because of course, Grace, there's so many things about you that are special. And just like you said, your illness would never define you. Right. So like, I can understand the complexity of I can see it. I can empathize. Of course, I could never understand because I was not a child cancer patient. But, you know, that is a lot to have on your plate on top at of age. at any age yeah. on top of the physical conditions that you'd be going through. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, absolutely. And I think it was therapy. And I actually was in a place that was similar to Willow Road. That was more was not a psychiatric unit, but was more like a residential place where um you could you were you were getting help for a number of issues with people who were your age who were getting help for their number of issues um but it was it was a voluntary you sign yourself in you sign yourself out um situation and 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 that conflict of going through the treatment and then eventually recognizing that it's time to move on and 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 have a life outside of this Willow Road therapy center. That's the crux of the issue that the main character in your script, Purgatory, uh, Claire, is going through. She's uh, sort of reached a point where I th- she's starting to broach the topic with her therapist that it, maybe it's time to go. And the, the and, and she's sort of stuck in this moment. I think that's we can get into why the script is titled Purgatory, but the idea of paying for your sins and being sort of stuck in this place to move on to something better. And she's sort of at that precipice where it is time to start thinking about leaving, but also, you know, there the elements of better the devil you know and, and, and familiarity. We're creatures of habit. We like routine and, and senses of community that have built up in this time that she's had at this place. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's exactly. Um, I'm glad that came through because that's what I was going for, and that's what I picked up when I was in this real life Willow Road. Um, it, uh, you know, there was these these steps of progress that people would make, like you know, they'd gone so many days without self injuring or drinking or any of these things, and then they'd get acknowledged for it in community meetings, and it'd be a good thing, 
And then there would be this like sense of fear around that. Like, oh, like I'm getting better. I don't know if I want to be somebody who gets better because what happens after this? Like, I don't know what happens after this. So then they would sometimes, and of course this wasn't the only reason why people continue to do um, destructive, you know, destructive things. But um, it, it, it was, a to me, it is sort of read like, there was a lot of fear motivating these self-destructive choices. And some of that fear was about, I, I don't want to, I don't want to leave. Right. Yeah. What kind of guidance would, did they have in uh, your real life Willow Road? Because of course there's a very interesting dynamic of like the adults versus the young people mm-hmm. in your story. So I'm just curious where that stems from and what the dynamic was like in the real life version of this. Um, I think it's, I mean, the thing with this one is that this script I had, I wrote a lot of things just verbatim, (laughs) like so many of these relationships and um, dynamics are things that I just completely took from my experience and just put it on a page. Um, So I, I had a therapist who, like Liz, I was very close to and we had this sort of playful dynamic, but then there'd be times when you know, it's sort of like you're playing three-dimensional chess and she, you know, would say something that was really pointed and like, you know, you are, you are going to have to move on. You are, you are doing better. And this sort of feeling of being trapped, like, oh, I, I, I don't really know which way to turn because I, I need to stay because this relationship means so much to me. I mean, in addition to the relationship with the patients, there's the relationship with um, my therapist that just meant so much to me. And she'd helped me so much that I, really couldn't even imagine moving on. And it's amazing how small your world gets in places like that. Um, so, so my relationship with my therapist was really wonderful. And I think a lot of patients felt that way with their like respective therapists. Um, but in terms of, so there were like the doctors and therapists, and then there was like sort of like the staff that would just supervise um, the patients and would make sure everyone was like taking their meds and nobody was doing anything too crazy. And that's like in in the dinner scene in this script, you see Ben, who's this really nice guy who's just in this horrible job where he has to manage people who should be able to manage themselves. And, you know, it's it's sort of like a free for all. They take advantage of him being nice and that no matter what they do, they're not going to really get in any big trouble about it uh, because they're sick. Right. Mm -hmm. So, So it was definitely complicated relationships with the staff, both the the doctors and the like, um, I don't know. I, we, we call them like camp counselors because mm-hmm. that's what they felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a very strong summer camp vibe to this whole thing, which right. I would imagine also contributes to the idea of not wanting it to, I went to summer camp all through like childhood and high school and stuff. And when the end of that week rolls around, man, you are crying like a baby cause you don't want to lose these people. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You get so close so fast to people in, in those in those situations. Yeah. Speaking of relationships, uh, the scene that we're going to read from involves an interaction between Claire, this main character who's uh, starting to embrace the idea, warm up to the idea of leaving this center, and uh, an interaction that she has with uh, Mia, who I believe is a a relatively new addition to this uh, Willow Road uh, institution. Uh, They were at that dinner that you mentioned earlier, and there was some really awkward flirting, and uh, now this is sort of Mia and Claire having a moment uh, between the two of them. Uh, and is there anything else that's sort of pertinent for the audience to be aware of in the run-up to this scene that we're going to do, uh, Grace? Um, 
Gosh, you know, uh, I, I don't think so. I'd rather just jump into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good. I think there's a lot to discuss after the fact uh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so listeners, if you're following along today, we're going to have a special treat as Grace will be playing Claire. Grace did play Claire in the produced version of this film, so it is such an honor to have you here on the show doing it again for us. Yeah, we got to talk about the production part too. That's a whole other thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, move on. Leave me alone. Um, I'm going to be reading for Mia, and Jack's going to be doing our action headings. We're starting on page 10. Um, this is going to be 10 to 13, scene 5, what I have affectionately titled Trauma Drama. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Great. Yes. <laughs> so, Jack, whenever you're ready, take it away. Interior, Willow Road, Mia's bedroom, continued. Music plays from Mia's laptop as she hangs her artwork on the walls. She hears a knock at the door and opens to find an ambivalent Claire standing in the hallway. Hey. Hey, sorry. Why are you sorry? Just perpetually guilty. (laughs) Come in. Claire steps into the room and eyes Mia's art. They're technically perfect, though clearly the work of someone who's going through some intensive therapy. You made all these? Yeah, they're based on my nightmares. Mia changes the music and hops on her bed. Come, sit. Claire does. It's a tight fit. I have nightmares too. What are they about? Claire laughs nervously at the blunt question. Mia is unfazed. Um, I do have a recurring dream where I'm trapped in a room with this man. And last night I actually managed to get away from him, which hadn't happened before. But then I got hit by a train. Lots of symbolism there. The Freudians will have a field day. Or maybe I didn't. I don't know. Mia flops back on her bed, unsure if she should do the same and realizing she doesn't exactly have the room. Claire leans sideways on her elbow. It looks uncomfortable. How crazy that we're both these smart, beautiful people, yet we're laying on a bed in a psychiatric institution. She glances at Claire and then (laughs) feigns embarrassment, looks away. One of Mia's paintings catches Claire's eye, and from Claire's POV, the painting, it depicts a naked woman flying over the sea, a petrified look on her face. Back to the scene. Can I kiss you? What? Sorry, was that predatory? N- no, I mean, yes, yes, you can. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. I've wanted to kiss you for like six hours now. Claire kisses Mia. They make out. Mia peels off Claire's shirt while Claire fumbles with the buttons on Mia's flannel. Sorry. Stop apologizing. I haven't done this in a long time. I'll keep my expectations low. (laughs) Mia gets on top of Claire. It's all fun and games and girl-interrupted fan fiction until Claire freezes. Mia clocks this and puts the pieces together. She stops. I'm fine. Yeah? Yeah. They resume only for Claire to freeze up again seconds later. Let's stop. Okay? Okay. Claire tries unsuccessfully to hide her embarrassment. Mm, I get it. I really do. Trauma drama sticks around for a long time. I I just don't think you're ready, is all. She hands Claire her shirt. And scene. Oh, man. I, you know what? I, I, I got to tell you, Grace, there's so many like little things that you put in the script yes. that, that only the person who's reading the script is going to be able to enjoy. Like It's not going to be the sort of thing that you really get when you're watching the movie. Just little pieces of wording that you put in there, and especially the girl interrupted reference, because like, not like a minute before that line showed up in the, in the narration in the script, I was like, boy, I'm catching a girl interrupted vibe <laughs> off of this script. <laughs> I did want to oh, ask, because of course... Of course, we'll jump into some more of the themes here, but like, 
Where did you start picking up your style of writing? You know, where did you start dropping in certain specific details? And is there anyone you mirrored this with? Or did you take a class or something that you you are super specific and very lovely, easy and detailed? And so I'm just curious about what your writing education has been. Um, I I took a screenwriting class in uh, my freshman year of college. And after that, I wrote my first script. And um, that was my last, like, uh, film class that I took. Um, well, screenwriting class. Um, actually, I, I started to write this, and, and uh, my direction was pretty boring. And I actually sent it to my director, who's a, a very good friend of mine. She directed this. And she was the one who said, um, you know, you could have more fun with these character descriptions, more fun with the setting. Like, I was trying to describe this relationship between Claire and Mia. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Mia's like super confident. And Claire's got like the charisma of like Forrest Gump. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she she can't do it. She can't do the flirting. And it's very apparent to everybody. And my my director, Nadia, was like, yeah, like literally write that. Because <laughs> yeah. it's like, come through. And after I just sort of took that and ran with it. Yeah, I think in the script you 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 said that Claire's character is a combination of Natasha Leone and Shrek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I I I would call that Claire's obviously pretty based on myself, and I, I think that's a pretty fair description of me. Mm-hmm. Allison's talking about the specifics that you have in the script, and, and I really agree. I think there's such an aesthetic to this script. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the specificity, I, I made a note in the very beginning on page one of the script how it talks about the screen is black. And then you hear a train whistle, and then the titles "Purgatory" come up on the screen. I don't know the way that was written, and whatever mood I was in when I was reading it, like it, it, it really struck me aesthetically. Like, okay, I like how this is starting out. You've got my attention. Let's see where this goes. And then you've got some really specific stuff in here too. When it comes to color, uh, talking about the beige room and the gray couch and the startlingly gray waiting room color, there you have noticeably really specific descriptions of color also. And I was wondering if that was a conscious thing on your part. Yeah, I, I I think so. I, I think I wanted to sort of convey this sense of very bland, not good or bad space they were in, which is my very secular understanding of purgatory. Like, it's not good, it's not bad, it's really just in the middle. And the first thing I think of is, like, the color beige. Like, it's, like, just so boring, but it's not offensive, and it's not super pretty either. Do you right. know what I mean? Yes, Totally. And same with gray, and those like in between colors where it's just like sort of like feels like a cop out of a color. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the point, right? There, if if your title of your script again is Purgatory, and it's this idea that you're not in heaven and you're not in hell, it's this in between place. Yeah, picking non-primary colors or non-spectrum colors or whatever makes total sense. Yeah, yeah, and I I tried to do that in um, in the costumes as well. I. It was a very obviously low budget short, and so I, I I got the costumes. I bought the costumes for everybody, and um, at least for my character Claire, I made it very uninteresting choices. Mm-hmm. I do love um, also how we we explore this idea of trauma being present, easily accessible, and part of someone's everyday life. Because we have, of course, here um, a support group people who have gone through different a, a myriad of different experiences who are easily available to notice and take in somebody's like everyday triggers. But I just thought it was like so interesting to lay that into a romantic relationship, to lay it into a a sexual exploration, especially of two people of the same gender. And then to have them have this experience where it's not about like the sex. It's not about the same sex 
romance. It's actually about dealing with trauma in a day-to-day situation. Yeah, well, well, thank you. That that was what I was hoping to convey. Is the do you think? I mean, this may seem like such a simple question, and I'm I'm really not trying to be pertinent, but you know, especially going through PTSD therapy, um, and then meeting other people who have their own traumas you're working through. Is this something that you think is like trauma and everyday trauma and triggers readily accessible, but isn't really talked about that much? Yeah, I mean, I think I think with trauma, you think about the initial incident and then sometimes the therapy after. But like in terms of your relationships with other people, those get just as much affected, particularly if you have like sexual trauma, those sexual relationships get, you know, totally fucked with. Can I swear here? Oh, yes. It's the Internet. (laughs) I forgot to ask that. Okay, great. (laughs) So, you know, they get totally fucked up. And um, that's something that I don't think people talk a lot about or see a lot unless they've encountered this uh, either in themselves or um, with, with other people. Mm-hmm. So you've got a really abrupt ending here at, in this script where it, it, it's almost sort of in the middle of a conversation amongst the group. They're sort of talking about other therapists that are there who are largely volunteers. And, you know, the, these people are talking about the therapy that they've had with individual people and having just sort of a group discussion about uh, who's got who and what the routines are and this and that. And Claire's sort of listening and everybody's talking and and it, it just sort of ends right there. And I, I obviously that's a very conscious choice on your part to end it in this sort of purgatory kind of way without a decision made yet. But I mean, for you as the writer, and as much as you've said that you really identify with Claire as a character, is this her moment of deciding it's time to move on or does she stick around or does that even, does it even matter? Yeah, I, I didn't really want to give an answer to that. And and when we were shooting it, that was particularly hard, like as an actor, like to not give any indication one way or another mm-hmm. as to whether um, she was leaving or not. I, I worked with an acting coach for this part and, um, and she said something really great, like maybe this last moment is just Claire beginning to think, oh, I guess I could leave. Mm-hmm. And it's not even, oh, I'm going to leave or I can leave. I like, I guess I could. It's the first time after her conversations with Liz that she starts to actually grasp like, Oh, I can exist outside of this very small world. Mm-hmm. I can be more than just this. Right. Well, that's and very hopeful. So. Yeah. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, I I definitely think this is a comedy, even though there's some dark content. And and you know, she's listening to to Rachel describe to Mia their day to day routine, and I think it's sort of she hears it a different way. Like, oh wow, we do the same thing every day, and I've been here for like ten months. Maybe, maybe I don't want to do this forever. Right. So I've got a question now in terms of the production side of things and going from having written this script that is extremely personal and based on real things that you clearly have put a lot of thought into. And then when things go into production, the idea that just in general, you know, some things are going to change when you've got more people involved and they're bringing their you know talents and, and instincts to the table, whether they're actors or in the crew or whatever. What, for you as the writer, having this be such a personal story, how much of the process of producing this script into a film is it how how big of a deal is it for you to keep it close to what you wrote because it's so personal versus being willing to take some maybe more artistic license or input from others when you're actually producing it um that's that's a really good question and something i've definitely struggled with but um 
I would say that because I've also cast myself as the lead and because I want to be an actor on that set, I just give the reins to the director and the producer because even though I certainly have a lot of ideas of how I want it to go, I can't wear both the writer hat and the actor hat at the same time. I have to put one down if I want to give an authentic performance Mm. and not have my head somewhere else. So you're willing just to to, to turn it over. And if the director even were to start to suggest something that either didn't occur to you, or maybe even that you don't feel is the right choice, you're, I mean, that's, you're, 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 you're locking into that role. Yeah. Well, well, I will say that I, um, I talked to the director. She's one of my very good friends and, um, and we talked a lot about what we wanted this script to be and, we did rehearsals and all that. And so I, I think we were very much on the same page and had the same vision for what we wanted it to be. So I really trusted her instincts with this script. And I, um, so I, I, I never felt like, Oh man, that's a terrible choice. I always saw where she was coming from. Even if I wouldn't have made that exact choice, I was like, Oh, I see why that works. Grace, so in terms of production also, uh, what was the process of, I mean, was there, were there funds that were raised? Uh, talk, talk about going from having written this and then getting a group of people together with equipment and film and, and, and shooting this thing. Did you, did you raise money for it? How, what was that process like? Yeah, I did. This is the second time I've, I've made one of my short scripts. Um, so I worked all summer. I worked double shifts all summer as a server, but I also raised money. Um, I had a producer who helped raise money and, um, you know, some really nice friends and family would contribute like $20 here and there. And eventually, I mean, it was a true miracle that we got to what we needed to get to, to make the movie. And then we basically have had to start from square one again to fund post. Like, you know, that was all our money to do for right. production. Right. But, um, yeah, we, I wanted to shoot it in LA because like I said, the director, Nadia, lives in LA and um, a couple of the actors that I wanted to use also live in LA and we cast the rest of everybody and got the crew from people who were based out there. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's always so stressful because it's down to the wire of like, will we have enough money to get everything? And there's so many unexpected expenses that come up while you're shooting like, Oh wait, we, nobody's getting fed. <laughs> like we have to feed them legally. Right. Um, and you know, just things you didn't plan, but you just, I, I was trying on this set to be really patient and like embrace that sort of, uh, chaotic environment. Because if I, if I want to keep doing this, I better start calming down, you know? I think that that is just like a hugely admirable, incredible, very unique perspective on the whole story Thank you so much for writing it. It's incredible. I mean, seriously, that that the entrepreneurial spirit of yeah. writing this thing and then making this thing and holy cow, Grace, this is I, I I'm I'm really I'm so impressed by all of this. Yeah, me too. Oh, thank you so much. You're Thanks. welcome. I, I like doing it. Is there any way that somebody could watch this online or yeah. or if somebody wanted to get in touch with you about this project or other things that you're working on, how's the best way for them to do that? Um, that's a great question. So actually we're still in post. We'll be done by the end of the year. Um, and so the film's not made yet, but, um, in terms of getting in touch with me about the project and like future festivals, hopefully, um, you can contact my agent, um, at gray talent group at gmail.com and, um, she'll go ahead and forward those to me. Wow. Okay, great. Thank you so much. 
for taking Thank the time so to much. be on the show. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. And good luck with, with the continued work on this thing. And, and then good luck taking it on the festival circuit. That's right. that's fantastic. Yeah. There is a little festival in Cincinnati you might want to consider in 2020. I yeah. I, I, if, um, <laughs> that's on my list for sure. Yes. It's on our big spreadsheet of festivals. We'll meet you. Oh, yay. Oh, no. We'll be the creepers. Oh, no. Fulfillment. Yes. What if that's the twist that we're actually the creepy ones? Well, yeah, that is the twist. Oh. <laughs> Huh. <laughs> Welcome to Cincinnati. Grace, thank you again so much. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, seriously. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Wow, Grace. Oh, man. How about Grace Mellon, everybody? Yeah, I know you hate clapping. I, I do. Let's just um, do it off mic, a little room. over the side. Okay. That's okay. okay. Uh, but let's pretend that it's full of hoots and hollers and cheers because I feel like that whole story, like, there's, n- you just can't wrap up that experience in what, 45 yeah. minutes? That's incredible. It's a lot. It's a lot, and it's extremely personal. And I mean, honestly, folks, if you you know, if you're listening to the show, and if maybe by some mistake you haven't read this script, you I would strongly encourage you to read this script. Yep. uh, And and then maybe re-listen to the show again because this is really what this is what this show is supposed to be about. Very very informative. We really love it. Uh, And if you if you are informative uh, as a person, uh, if you've written a script that's very personal that maybe you're working on getting made, or you just want to get it out there, or maybe you're just writing it for yourself, and Mm -hmm. there don't necessarily have to have plans for production. The script is a piece of art in and of itself. Right. Uh, Regardless of whatever situation you're in, if you have written a script, you can send it to us uh, by going on to scriptshopshow.com/slash/submit. Or by going on to filmfreeway.com and looking up script shop show. You also can follow us, friend us, and... I think it's find us, find friend us, us follow it. us. Find us, follow... Okay. <laughs> find us, friend us, mm-hmm. follow us. There we go. By going to uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter and looking up script shop show on all of those things except for Twitter where our Jack is at script shop Jack. Yeah, I'm not on Facebook or IG or anything like that. Yeah, because he's smart. Yeah, those, those are I'm sorry, guys. Those things are bad. <laughs> and on Twitter, you can find me as at your bestie Westy. Yes, thanks, guys, very much for listening to the show. Thanks to Grace Mallon for sending in her script and coming on and ditching class to come on with us. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate Definitely all worth that. my time. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and until next time, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for-